Hello, wonderful people. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the stream. I'm looking all kinds of red. A nice brick red, which actually is going to come up later on in the stream. How's everybody doing? Noxara, how's it going? Am I saying that right? Noxara? Sounds about right. Oh, I hope everyone's had a wonderful week. Mine's been pretty good. Got, uh, let's see, got some news about a meeting I was hoping to get into. That's pretty nice. Um, stream prep went well. I put it off way too long. It happens. Hello. I need to do some work with uh, OBS and see if I can turn up the overall volume. I don't want to turn up the volume of my microphone, per se, um, because I don't want it to be all blown out in the VOD, but I do want to up the volume of it. I don't want to up the recording volume, just the, the output volume. B, how's it going? Welcome back. Now, y'all know what we're up to here. Naxara, my day's going well. Thank you for asking. Um, yeah, like I said, I put my stream off. I put my stream prep off until a bit too late today, i.e., uh, earlier this afternoon. Um, but I'm done. I got it done. It happened. We're all good. Yeah, my day's going well. Um, not so put off that I got stressed about it, which is good. Um, and also, something we're going to talk more about later, I'm up 18 subscribers this week. Welcome, new people. I don't know if you'll be here. Luke, how are you? Welcome back. B, the cats are good. The cats are doing well. Um, I'm going to talk about that while I try and adjust my webcam here. Uh, yeah, the cats are doing well. Um, not much has changed. We are, I don't know if you, I've, I don't know if I've mentioned this, but... Um, we are in the midst of a project for the cats right now. Um, our aim is to put up some shelves that will allow them to essentially scale the walls. Um, they're little like zigzag shelves that are going to let them get hopefully up on top of our, our uh, entertainment center in the living room. And eventually I'd love to do a whole thing where like there's a, a route where they can get all the way along the ceiling. Ooh, look at my, look at my fabulous invisible fingers. Fantastic. All the beans. All the beans today. I believe I'm hitting six beans today. Man, I wish my light stayed consistent because, it, I mean, with the exception of this here, because my pale, pale, ridiculous, pallid skin, um, the green screen looks great here. Little fuzz in the back of the hair. It happens. It's good. It's all good. I hope you all are having a great week. Cats are going to be off the walls. I hope so. They're they're lazy creatures. Um, blue is a sprinter, but more by necessity than actual uh, athletics. Um, he's a he's a fright. He's a a fearful little creature. Luke is wanting me to do two beans at a time and try to guess both flavors. I can't get one beans at a time and guess one flavor. I keep I keep picking up like like bell pepper in earthworms and like mint in grass. I'm no good at this, so that's a bit of a challenge. It is gonna be kind of rapid fire today though because we have two pretty sizable chapters today. Very pleased to announce. Um, 
let me go through and do my quick recap of last stream, as I do. Um, as usual, if you're not into this bit, go ahead and skip in the VOD until you see uh, chapter art. Um, and secondly, if you've got anything during the summary or during my yammering at the beginning or during <laughs> or during um, the chapter itself, go ahead and put it in chat. I'd love to talk about it. I'll either pause during the chapter or I may wait until after the chapter, but I would like to talk about it. So go ahead and throw it in chat, including Luke says fungus and mint. And B says, hope the project doesn't go wonky. Thank you, B. Thank you for your kind words. Got my eye on you, B. <laughs> All right. So summary. Last chapter, uh, last two chapters, rather, um, we were catching up a bit. Um, let's see. Chapters 22 and 23. titled The Unexpected Task and The Yule Ball. And the unexpected task was all about, um, well, the unexpected task that all of the champions had to undergo, which was to ask a date to the Yule Ball. And of course, facing down dragons, Harry's thinking, you know, this is the toughest thing he's going to have to do all year, maybe in his life. Um, turns out, asking somebody to the Yule Ball, Harry's starting to think he might rather go and another round with that dragon um so it's a little tough he asks cho chang who he's been fancying for quite some time unfortunately she has already agreed to go with cedric diggory so uh all of that newfound goodwill between harry and cedric suddenly <laughs> into nothing harry's not a big cedric diggory fan right now ron and hermione have a, a bit of an argument apparently Hermione thinks that uh, he shouldn't have waited so long to ask her. Um, shouldn't have waited so long to ask everyone, in fact. Um, and she ends up going with someone we're not sure who she's going to end up with. But, uh, I mean, Victor Crumb is on the table, but Ron's, of course, not going to believe that. Let's see. The older students seem a little bit more comfortable with this process, especially Fred and George. Nothing like a little bit of confidence to help you uh, ask out somebody you fancy, or honestly, somebody you don't. Some of the best dances are with people. It's like, yeah, we're just, we're here as friends. It's fine. Let's have a good time. That's what it's for. Um, that's, I think that's the majority of the chapter. Essentially, um, a bit of arguing and a lot of anxiety as Harry and Ron are tasked with finding dates to the Yule Ball. Chapter 23, of course, being the Yule Ball itself. Ooh, B says my water is invisible. Let me take a look at that. <laughs> That's pretty cool. That's really cool. I didn't think it would be like that. Interesting. I'm sipping on nothing. Um, Noxara says my LARP it's tomorrow, so I'm going to be brushing my wig while watching the stream. Fantastic. What color is your wig? Um, B says, yeah, Cedric. Um, so, the Yule Ball itself. People are looking uh, real fresh. People are looking fresh in their dress robes, except for Ron, of course, who's using his uh, classic hand-me-down robes and his 
as usual, pretty self-conscious about them. Nobody else minds. Looks a little silly, and, you know, Malfoy is, of course, going to be uh, commenting on it, but eh, who cares what Malfoy thinks anyway, right? If you wouldn't take advice from them, don't take criticism from them. I heard that one recently, and I kind of like it. Harry gets a letter from Sirius Black. Bit of an update. Um, he's pretty impressed with uh, how Harry handled that dragon, but he tells him not to be complacent. Still in a lot of danger, and there's still plenty of opportunity for whoever put his name in the goblet to get back at him. Now, Christmas Day, the day of the ball. Um, like I said, people are looking fresh. Uh, he gets a, a rude awakening from <laughs> Dobby the house elf, who comes up to bring him a gift. Um, and they go down to the ball itself. Harry and his date, um, one of the Patil sisters, they are one of the, the, you know, Harry being a champion, he is involved with opening the dancing. Not super comfortable with it, but uh, uh, shortly before that, he sees some very pretty girl in blue that he's never seen before. A little while later, he suddenly realizes it's Hermione. She doesn't look like Hermione. Um, she's had her something done with her hair, and she was suffering from some elongated teeth that, uh, uh part of a, a hex that Malfoy put on her, but, uh, it sounds like she, she took the opportunity when she was getting those fixed to just straighten them up a little bit. Hair is all done up and, uh, less frizzy than usual. It looks lovely. She is with... Victor Crumb, indeed. Um, the Victor Crumb fan club from the library is not pleased with this, and uh, she's getting some grumpy looks, but she seems happy. She seems happy all the way through the dance, right up until near the end, when Ron has the audacity to complain. Complain quite a bit, in fact. He gets frustrated with Hermione, ostensibly about the fact that Hermione is, quote, fraternizing with the enemy. Now, of course... As Dumbledore said, this is an opportunity for people from all sorts of wizarding schools to get together and meet and form relationships. It's a good thing that people from different schools are getting along well. Hmm. That's not what Ron thinks. Um, the last big thing we learned in this chapter is that... Uh, let's see. Um, a. Snape and Karkaroff have a very shushed secret meeting and B Hagrid is talking to Madame Maxime and violently offends her by bringing up the fact that she's probably half giant and admits that he, Hagrid, is himself half giant he doesn't realize what he's done wrong but she is angry about it Ashlyn says hello Sam, I may be in and out of the stream for about 30 to 45 minutes no problem It'll be here when you get back. Um, let's see. I believe that is basically what we learned the whole time. What else? Hmm. I remember now. Very end. Cedric gives Harry a clue. Something about a bathroom. Prefix bathroom. Maybe taking his golden egg for a bath. So, that's where we're at. Let's proceed, shall we? As usual, go ahead and put it in chat if you've got anything you want to talk about. Off we go.
Chapter 24 Rita Skeeter's Scoop Everybody got up late on Boxing Day. The Gryffindor common room was much quieter than it had been lately, many yawns punctuating the lazy conversations. Hermione's hair was bushy again. She confessed to Harry that she had used liberal amounts of Sleek Easy's hair potion on it for the ball. But it's way too much bother to do every day, she said matter-of-factly, scratching a purring crookshanks behind the ears. Ron and Hermione seemed to have reached an unspoken agreement not to discuss their argument. They were being quite friendly to each other, though oddly formal. Ron and Harry wasted no time in telling Hermione about the conversation they had overheard between Madame Maxime and Hagrid. But Hermione didn't seem to find the news that Hagrid was half-giant nearly as shocking as Ron did. "'Well, I thought he must be,' she said, shrugging. "'I knew he couldn't be pure giant because they're about twenty feet tall. But honestly, all this hysteria about giants, they can't all be horrible.' the same sort of prejudice that people have toward werewolves. It's just bigotry, isn't it? Ron looked as though he would have liked to reply scathingly, but perhaps he didn't want another row, because he contented himself with shaking his head disbelievingly while Hermione wasn't looking. It was time now to think of the homework they had neglected during the first week of the holidays. Everybody seemed to be feeling rather flat now that Christmas was over. Everybody except Harry, that is, who was starting, once again, to feel slightly nervous. Trouble was that February the 24th looked a lot closer from this side of Christmas, and he hadn't done anything about working out the clue inside the golden egg. He therefore started taking the egg out of his trunk every time he went up to the dormitory, opening it and listening intently hoping that this time it would make some sense. Strained to think what the sound reminded him of, apart from thirty musical saws, but he had never heard anything else like it. He closed the egg, shook it vigorously, and opened it to see if the sound had changed, but it hadn't. He tried asking the egg questions, shouting over all the wailing, but nothing happened. He even threw the egg across the room, though he hadn't really expected that to help. Harry had not forgotten the hint that Cedric had given him, but his less-than-friendly feelings toward Cedric just now meant that he was not keen to take his help if he could avoid it. In any case, it seemed to him that if Cedric had really wanted to give Harry a hand, he would have been a lot more explicit. He, Harry, had told Cedric exactly what was coming in the first task. Cedric's idea of a fair exchange had been to tell Harry to take a bath. Well... He didn't need that sort of rubbishy help. Not from someone who kept walking down corridors hand-in-hand hand with Cho, anyway. And so, the first day of the new term arrived, and Harry set off to lessons, weighed down with books, parchment, and quills, as usual, but also with the lurking worry of the egg heavy in his stomach, as though he were carrying that around with him, too. Snow was still thick upon the grounds, and the greenhouse windows were covered in condensation so thick that they couldn't see out of them in herbology. Nobody was looking forward to care of magical creatures much in this weather, though, as Ron said, the scroots would probably warm them up nicely, either by chasing them or blasting off so forcefully that, cabins, that Hagrid's cabin would catch fire. When they arrived at Hagrid's cabin, however, they found an elderly witch 
closely cropped gray hair and a very prominent chin standing before his front door. What did her voice sound like? Professor Grubbly Plank. Mm, I need a good voice for her, I think. I've already made uh, Professor Sprout pretty southern. What does Professor Grubbly Plank sound like? She sounds like that name sounds a little German to me. Maybe something German. Hurry up now, the bell rang five minutes ago. She barked at them as they struggled toward her through the snow. Who are you? said Ron, staring at her. Where's Agrid? My name is Professor Grubbly Plank, she said briskly. I am your temporary care of magical creatures teacher. Where's Harry? Mm, I'm Harry. <laughs> Where's Hagrid? Harry repeated loudly. He is indisposed, said Professor Grubbly Plank shortly. Soft and unpleasant laughter reached Harry's ears. He turned. Draco Malfoy and the rest of the Slytherins were joining the class. All of them looked gleeful, and none of them looked surprised to see Professor Grubbly Plank. This way, please, said Professor Grubbly Plank, and she strode off around the paddock where the Beaubaton horses were shivering. Harry, Ron, and Hermione followed her, looking back over their shoulders toward Hagrid's cabin. All the curtains were closed. Was Hagrid in there, alone and ill? What's wrong with Hagrid? Harry said, hurrying to catch up with Professor Grubbly Plank. Never you mind, she said, though she thought it was being nosy. I do mind, though, said Harry hotly. What's up with him? Professor Grubbly Plank acted as though she couldn't hear him. She led them past the paddock where the huge Beaubaton horses were standing, huddled against the cold, and toward a tree on the edge of the forest where a large and beautiful unicorn was tethered. Many of the girls ooh at the sight of the unicorn. Oh, it's so beautiful, whispered Lavender Brown. How did she get it? They're supposed to be really hard to catch. The unicorn was so brightly white it made the snow all around it look gray. It was pawing the ground nervously with its golden hooves and throwing back its horned head. Boys, keep back, barked Professor Grubbly Plank, throwing out an arm and catching Harry hard in the chest. They prefer a woman's touch, unicorns. Girls to the front and approach with care. Come on, easy does it. She and the girls walked slowly forward toward the unicorn leaving the boys standing near the paddock fence, watching. The moment Professor Grubbly Plank was out of earshot, Harry turned to Ron. What do you reckon's wrong with him? You don't think that Scroot? Oh, he hasn't been attacked, Potter, if that's what you're thinking, said Malfoy softly. No, he's just too ashamed to show his big, ugly face. What do you mean? said Harry sharply. Malfoy put his hand inside the pocket of his robes and pulled out a folded page of newsprint. There you go, he said. I hate to break it to you, Potter. He smirked 
as Harry snatched the page, unfolded it, and read it with Ron, Seamus, Dean, and Neville looking over his shoulder. It was an article, topped with a picture of Hagrid looking extremely shifty. Dumbledore's Giant Mistake Albus Dumbledore, eccentric headmaster of Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, has never been afraid to make controversial staff appointments, writes Rita Skeeter, special correspondent. In September of this year, he hired Alistair Mad-Eye Moody, the notoriously jinx-happy ex-Auror, to teach defense against the dark arts, a decision that has caused many raised eyebrows at the Ministry of Magic, given Moody's well-known habit of attacking anybody who makes a sudden movement in his presence. Mad-Eye Moody, however looks responsible and kindly when set beside the part-human Dumbledore employs to teach care of magical creatures. Rubius Hagrid, who admits to being expelled from Hogwarts in his third year, has enjoyed the position of gameskeeper at the school ever since, a job secured for him by Dumbledore. Last year, however, Dumbledore used his mysterious influence... Last year, however, Hagrid used his mysterious influence over the headmaster to secure the additional post of Care of Magical Creatures Teacher over the heads of many better qualified candidates. An alarmingly large and ferocious-looking man, Hagrid has been using his newfound authority to terrify the students in his Care of Magical Creatures class with a succession of horrific creatures. While Dumbledore turns a blind eye, Hagrid has maimed several pupils during a series of lessons that many admit to being very frightening. I was attacked by a hippogriff, and my friend Vincent Crabb got a bad bite off a flobberworm, says Draco Malfoy, a fourth-year student. We all hate Hagrid, but we are just too scared to say anything. Hagrid has no intention of ceasing his campaign of intimidation, however. In conversation with a Daily Prophet reporter last month, he admitted to breeding creatures he has dubbed Blast-Ended Scroots, highly dangerous crosses between manticores and fire crabs. The creation of such new breeds of magical creatures is, of course, an activity usually closely observed by the Department for the Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures. Hagrid, however, considers himself to be above such petty restrictions. I was just having some fun, he says, before hastily changing the subject. Changing the subject. As if there were some... As if this were not enough, the Daily Prophet has now unearthed evidence that Hagrid is not as he has always pretended, a pure-blood wizard. He is not, in fact, even pure human. His mother, we can exclusively reveal, is none other than the giantess Fridvulfa. Whereabouts are currently unknown. Bloodthirsty and brutal, the giants brought themselves to the point of extinction by warring amongst themselves during the last century. The handful that remained joined the ranks of he who must not be named, and were responsible for some of the worst massed muggle killings of his reign of terror. While many of the giants who served he who must not be named were killed by Aurors during... Um, let's see. While many of the giants who served he who must not be named were killed by Aurors working against the dark side, Fridvulfa was not among them. It was possible she escaped to one of the giant communities still existing in foreign mountain ranges. If his antics during care of magical creatures lessons are any guide, however, Fridvulfa's son appears to have inherited her brutal nature. Manticrabs. I like that, Luke. In a bizarre twist, Hagrid is reputed to have developed a close friendship with the boy who brought around You-Know-Who's fall from power, thereby driving Hagrid's own mother, like the rest of You-Know-Who's supporters, into hiding. 
Perhaps Harry Potter is unaware of the unpleasant truth about his large friend, but Albus Dumbledore surely has a duty to ensure that Harry Potter, along with his fellow students, is warned about the dangers of associating with part giants. Harry finished reading and looked up at Ron, whose mouth was hanging open. How did she find out? he whispered. But that wasn't what was bothering Harry. What do you mean we all hate Hagrid? Harry spat at Malfoy. What's that rubbish about him? He pointed at Crab, getting a bad bite off a flubberworm. They haven't even got teeth. Crab was sniggering, apparently very pleased with himself. Well, I think this should put an end to the oaf's teaching career, said Malfoy, his eyes glinting. Half giant. And there was me thinking he'd just swallowed a bottle of Skelligro when he was young. None of the mummies and daddies are going to like this at all. They'll be worried he'll eat their kids. <laughs> you! Are you paying attention over there? Professor Grubbly Plank's voice carried over to the boys. The girls were all clustered around the unicorn now, stroking it. Harry was so angry that the Daily Prophet article shook in his hands. He turned to stare unseeingly at the unicorn, whose many magical properties Professor Grubbly Plank was now enumerating in a loud voice that the boys could hear too. I hope that she stays that woman, said Pravati Patil when the lessons had ended and they were all heading back to the castle for lunch. That's more what I thought Care of Magical Creatures would be like. Proper creatures like unicorns, not monsters. What about Hagrid? Harry said angrily as they went up the steps. What about him? said Parvati in a hard voice. He can still be gamekeeper, can't he? Parvati had been very cool toward Harry since the ball. He supposed he ought to have paid her a bit more attention, but she seemed to have had a good time all the same. She was certainly telling anyone who would listen that she had made arrangements to meet with the boy from Beaubaton in Hogsmeade on the next weekend trip. That was a really good lesson, said Hermione as they entered the Great Hall. I didn't know half the things that Professor Grubbly Plank told us about you know Look at this, Harry snarled, and he shoved the Daily Prophet article under Hermione's nose. Hermione's mouth fell open as she read. Her reaction was exactly the same as Ron's. How did that horrible Skeeter woman find out? You don't think Hagrid told her? No, said Harry, leading the way over to the Gryffindor table and f throwing himself into a chair, furious. He never even told us, did he? I reckon she was so mad that he wouldn't give her lots of horrible stuff about me. She went ferreting around behind his back. Maybe she heard him telling Madame Maxime at the ball, said Hermione quietly. We would have seen her in the garden, said Ron. Anyway, she's not supposed to come into school anymore. Hagrid said Dumbledore banned her. Maybe she's got an invisibility cloak, said Harry, ladling chicken casserole onto his plate and splashing it everywhere in his anger. The sort of thing that she would do, isn't it? Hide in bushes listening to people. Like you and Ron did, you mean, said Hermione. 
We weren't trying to hear him, said Ryan indignantly. We didn't have any choice. Stupid Pratt talking about his giantess mother where anyone could have heard him. We've got to go and see him, said Harry. This evening, after divination. We'll tell him that we want him back. You do want to get him back, he shouted at Hermione. Well, I'm not going to pretend it didn't make a nice change, having a proper care of magical creatures lesson for once. But I do want Hagrid back, of course I do, Hermione added hastily, quailing under Harry's furious stare. So that evening after dinner, the three of them left the castle once more and went down through the frozen grounds to Hagrid's cabin. They knocked, and Fang's booming barks answered, Hagrid, it's us, Harry shouted, pounding on the door. Open up! Hagrid didn't answer. He could hear Fang scratching at the door, whining, but it didn't open. They hammered on it for ten more minutes. Ron even went and banged on one of the windows, but there was no response. What's he avoiding us for? Hermione said when they had finally given up and were walking back to the school. He surely doesn't think that we would care about him being half-giant. But it seemed that Hagrid did care. They didn't see a sign of him all week. He didn't appear at the staff table at mealtimes. They didn't see him going about his gamekeeping duties on the grounds, and Professor Grubbly Plank continued to take the care of magical creatures classes. Malfoy was gloating at every possible opportunity. Missing your half-breed pal? He kept whispering to Harry whenever there was a teacher around so that he was safe from Harry's retaliation. You missing the elephant man? There was a Hogsmeade visit halfway through January. Hermione was very surprised that Harry wanted to go. Hermione was very surprised that Harry was going to go. I just thought you'd want to take advantage of the common room being quiet, he said. Really get to work on that egg? Oh, I... I reckon I've got a pretty good idea what it's about now, Harry lied. Have you really? said Hermione, looking impressed. Well done. Harry's insides gave a guilty squirm, but he ignored them. He still had five weeks to work out the egg, after all. That was ages. Whereas, if he went to Hogsmeade, he might run into Hagrid, get a chance to persuade him to come back. He, Ron, and Hermione left the castle together on Saturday, and went off through the cold, wet grounds toward the gates. As they passed the Durmstrang ship moored in the lake, they saw Victor Crumb emerge onto the deck, dressed in nothing but swimming trunks. He was very skinny indeed, but apparently a lot tougher than he looked because he climbed up the side of the ship, stretched out his arms, and dived right into the lake. He's mad, said Harry, staring at Crumb's dark head as it bobbed out to the middle of the lake. It must be freezing, it's January. It's a lot colder where he comes from, said Hermione. I suppose it feels quite warm to him. Yeah, but there's still the giant squid, said Ron. He didn't sound anxious, 
If anything, he sounded hopeful. Hermione noticed his tone of voice and frowned. He's really nice, you know, she said. He's not at all like you'd think, coming from Durmstrang. I sit much better here, he told me. Ron said nothing. He hadn't mentioned Victor Crumb since the ball, but Harry had found a miniature under his bed. But Harry had found a miniature arm under his bed on Boxing Day, which looked very much as though it had been snapped off a small model figure wearing Bulgarian Quidditch robes. Harry kept his eyes skinned for a sign of Hagrid all the way down the slushy high street. He suggested a visit to the Three Broomsticks once he had asserted that Hagrid was not in and suggested a visit to the Three Broomsticks, once he had ascertained that Hagrid was not in any of the shops. The pub was as crowded as ever. But one quick look around at all the tables told Harry that Hagrid wasn't here. Heart sinking, he went up to the bar with Ron and Hermione, ordered three butterbeers from Madame Rosmerta, and thought gloomily that he might as well have just stayed behind and listened to the egg wailing after all. Doesn't he ever go into the office? Hermione whispered suddenly. Look! She pointed into the mirror behind the bar, and Harry saw Ludo Bagman reflected there, sitting in a shadowy corner with a bunch of goblins. Bagman was talking very fast in a low voice to the goblins, all of whom had their arms crossed and were looking rather menacing. It was odd indeed, Harry thought, that Bagman was here at the Three Broomsticks on a weekend when there was no Triwizard event and therefore no judging to be done. He watched Bagman in the mirror. He was looking strained again, quite as strained as he had on the night in the forest before the dark mark had appeared. But just then Bagman glanced over at the bar, saw Harry, and stood up. In a minute, in a minute! Harry heard him say, brusquely to the goblins, and Bagman hurried through the pub toward Harry, his boyish grin back in place. Harry, he said. How are you? I've been hoping to run into you. Everything going all right? Fine, thanks, said Harry. I wonder if I could have a, a quick private word, Harry, said Bagman eagerly. You couldn't give us a moment, you two, could you? <laughs> um, okay, said Ron. And he and Hermione went off to find a table. Bagman led Harry along the bar to the end furthest from Madame Rosmerta. Well, I just thought I'd like to congratulate you again on your splendid performance against that horntail, Harry, said Bagman. Really superb. Thanks, said Harry. But he knew this couldn't be all that Bagman wanted to say because he could have congratulated Harry in front of Ron and Hermione. Bagman didn't seem in any particular rush to spill the beans, though. Harry saw him glance into the mirror over at the bar, toward the goblins, who were all watching him and Harry in silence through their dark, slanting eyes. Absolute nightmare, said Bagman to Harry, in an undertone, noticing Harry watching the goblins too. Their, uh, their English isn't too good. It's like being back with all the Bulgarians at the Quidditch World Cup, but at least they used sign language another human could recognize. This lot keeps gabbling in gobbledygook. And I only know one word of gobbledygook. Bloodvak. Means pickaxe. I don't like to use it in case they think I'm threatening them. 
He gave a short, booming laugh. What do they want? Harry said, noticing how the goblins were still watching Bagman very closely. Uh, well, uh, said Bagman, looking suddenly nervous. They're, uh, uh, they're looking for Barty Crouch. Why are they looking for him here? said Harry. He's at the Ministry in London, isn't he? As a matter of fact, I've got no idea where he is, said Bagman. He's sort of stopped coming to work. Been absent for a couple of weeks now. Young Percy, his assistant, says he's ill. Apparently he's just been sending instructions in by Owl. What would you mind uh, not mentioning that to anyone, Harry? Rita Skeeter's still poking around everywhere she can, and I'm willing to bet she'd work up Barty's illness into something sinister. Probably say he's gone missing, like Bertha Jorkins. Have you heard anything about Bertha Jorkins? Harry asked. No, said Bagman, looking strained again. I got people looking, of course. About time, thought Harry. It's all very strange. She definitely arrived in Albania because she met her second cousin there. Then she left the cousin's house to go south and see an aunt. And, uh... Seems to have vanished without a trace en route. But blowed if I can see where she's got to. She doesn't seem the type to elope, for instance, but still. What what are we doing talking about goblins and Bertha Jorkins? Look, I really wanted to ask you. He lowered his voice. How are you getting on with your golden egg? Um, not bad said Harry, untruthfully. Bagman seemed to know he wasn't being honest. Listen, Harry, he said, still in a very low voice. I feel really bad about all this. You were thrown into this tournament, you didn't volunteer for it, and if... His voice was so quiet now, Harry had to lean in closer to listen. And if I can help at all, a prod in the right direction, I've taken a liking to you. The way you got past that dragon, well, <laughs> just say the word. Harry stared up into Bagman's round face, at his wide, baby blue eyes. We're supposed to work out the clues alone, aren't we? He said, careful to keep his voice casual and not sound as though he was accusing the head of Department of Magical Games and Sports of breaking the rules. Well, uh, yeah, said Bagman impatiently, but <laughs> come on, Harry. We all want a Hogwarts victory, don't we? Have you offered Cedric any help? The smallest of frowns creased Bagman's smooth face. No, I haven't, he said. I, well, like I say, I've taken a liking to you. I just thought I'd offer. Well, thanks, said Harry, but I think I'm nearly there with the egg. A couple more days should crack it. He wasn't entirely sure why he was refusing Bagman's help, except that Bagman was almost a stranger to him, and accepting his assistance would feel somehow much more like cheating than asking from advice than asking for advice from Ron, Hermione, or Sirius. 
Bagman looked almost affronted, but couldn't say much more, as Fred and George turned up at this point. Hello, Mr. Bagman, said Fred brightly. Can we buy you a drink? Uh, no, said Bagman, with a last disappointed glance at Harry. No, thank you, boys. Fred and George looked quite as disappointed as Bagman, who was still surveying Harry as though he had let him down badly. Well, I must dash, he said. Nice seeing you all. Good luck, Harry. He hurried out of the pub. The goblins all slid off of their chairs and exited after him. Harry went to rejoin Ron and Hermione. What did he want? Ron said, the moment Harry sat down. He offered me help with the golden egg, said Harry. He shouldn't be doing that, said Hermione, looking very shocked. He's one of the judges, and anyway you've already worked it out, haven't you? Uh, nearly, said Harry. Well, I don't think Dumbledore would like it if he knew Bagman was trying to persuade you to cheat, said Hermione, still looking deeply disapproving. I hope he's trying to help Cedric out as much. He's not, I asked, said Harry. Who cares if Diggory's getting help, said Ron. Harry privately agreed. Those goblins didn't look very friendly, said Hermione, sipping her butterbeer. What were they doing here? Looking for Crouch, according to Bagman, said Harry. He's still ill. Hasn't been in to work. Maybe Percy's poisoned him, said Ron. Probably think that if Crouch snuffs it, he'll be able to be head of the Department of Magical International Cooperation. Hermione gave Ron a don't-joke-about-things-like-that look, and said, Funny, goblins looking for Mr. Crouch. They would normally deal with the Department for the Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures. Crouch can speak loads of different languages, though, said Harry. Maybe they need an interpreter? Are you worried about the poor little goblins now, are you? Ron asked Hermione. Are you thinking of starting up SPUG or something? Society for the Protection of Ugly Goblins? Ah, ah, said Hermione sarcastically. Goblins don't need protection. Have you been listening to Professor Binns and what he's telling us about goblin rebellions? No, said Harry and Ron together. Well, they're quite capable of dealing with wizards. Boy, oh boy. Well, they're quite capable of dealing with wizards, said Hermione, taking another sip of butterbeer. They're very clever. They're not like house elves who never stick up for themselves. Uh-oh, said Ron, staring at the door. Rita Skeeter had just entered. She was wearing banana-yellow robes today. Her long nails were painted shockingly pink, and she was accompanied by her paunchy photographer. She bought drinks, and she and the photographer made their way through the crowd to a table nearby. Harry, Ron, and Hermione glaring at her as she approached. She was talking fast and looking very satisfied about something. Didn't seem very keen to talk to us, did he, Bozo? Now, why would he be? 
you think? What's he doing with a pack of goblins in tow anyway? Showing them around the sights? What nonsense. He always was a bad liar. Reckon something's up? Think we should do a bit of digging? Mmm, disgraced ex-head of magical games and sports, Ludo Backman. Snappy start to a sentence, Bozo. We just need a story to fit it. Trying to ruin someone else's life, said Harry loudly. A few people looked around. Rita Skeeter's eyes widened behind her jeweled spectacles as she saw who had spoken. Harry, she said, beaming. How lovely. Why don't you come and join? I wouldn't come near you with a ten-foot broomstick, said Harry furiously. What did you do that to Hagrid for, huh? Rita Skeeter raised her heavily penciled eyebrows. Our readers have a right to the truth, Harry. I am merely doing my... Who cares if he's half-giant? Harry shouted. There's nothing wrong with him. The whole pub had gone very quiet. Madame Rosmerta was staring over from behind the bar, apparently oblivious to the fact that the flagon she was filling with mead was overflowing. Rita Skeeter's smile flickered very slightly, but she hitched it back almost as once. But she hitched it back almost at once. She snapped open her crocodile-skin handbag, pulled out her quick-quotes quill, and said, How about giving me an interview about the Hagrid you know, Harry, the man behind the muscles, your unlikely friendship and the reasons behind it? Would you call him a father substitute? Hermione stood up very abruptly, her butterbeer clutched in her hand as though it were a grenade. You horrible woman, she said through gritted teeth. You don't care, do you? Anything for a story. And anyone will do, won't they? Even Ludo Bagman. Sit down, you silly little girl. Don't talk about things you don't understand, said Rita Skeeter coldly, her eyes hardening as they fell on Hermione. I know things about Ludo Bagman that would make your hair curl. Not that it needs it, she added, eyeing Hermione's bushy hair. Let's go, said Hermione. Come on, Harry, Ron. They left. Many people were staring at them as they went. Harry glanced back as they reached the door. Rita Skeeter's quick quotes quill was out. It was zooming backward and forward over a piece of parchment on the table. She'll be after you next, Hermione, said Ron in a low and worried voice as they walked quickly back up the street. Let her try, Hermione defiantly. She was shaking with rage. I'll show her. Silly little girl, am I? Oh, I'll get her back for this. First Harry, then Hagrid? You don't want to go upsetting Rita Skeeter, said Ron nervously. I'm serious. Hermione, she'll dig up something on you. My parents don't read the Daily Prophet. She can't scare me into hiding, said Hermione now striding along so fast that it was all Harry and Ron could do to keep up with her. The last time Harry had seen Hermione in a rage like this, she had hit Draco Malfoy around the face. And Hagrid isn't hiding any more. He should never let... He should never have let that excuse for a human being upset him. Come on! Breaking into a run, she led them all the way back up the road. Through the gates, flanked by winged boars, and up through the grounds to Hagrid's cabin. 
B says Rita is like all the clickbait YouTubers. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a problem. Anything, uh, any any time you get something like the internet, um, where you know, the, you're depending on people to kind of click in, things can get kind of gross. So uh, here's your weekly warning. If you see a a crazy headline, read the article. Don't just spread the headline. There's a new hashtag, B. Don't spread the headline. <laughs> the curtains were still drawn, and they could hear Fang barking as they approached. Hagrid! Hermione shouted, pounding on his front door. Hagrid, that's enough! We know that you're in there. Nobody cares if your mum was a giantess, Hagrid. You can't let that foul Skeeter woman do this to you. Hagrid, get out here. You're just being... The door opened. Hermione said, About... And then stopped, very suddenly, because she had found herself face to face, not with Hagrid, but with Albus Dumbledore. Good afternoon, he said pleasantly, smiling down at them. We, uh, we wanted to see Hagrid, said Hermione in a rather small voice. Yes, I surmised as much, said Dumbledore, his eyes twinkling. Why don't you come in? Oh, um, okay, said Hermione. She, Ron, and Harry went into the cabin. Fang launched himself upon Harry the moment he entered, barking madly and trying to lick his ears. Harry fended off Fang and looked around. Woof, woof, woof. <laughs> Hagrid was sitting at the table, where there were two large mugs of tea. He looked a real mess. His face was blotchy, his eyes swollen, and he had gone to the other extreme where his hair was concerned. Far from trying to make it behave, it now looked like a wig of tangled wire. Hi, Hagrid, said Harry. Hagrid looked up. Hello, he said in a very hoarse voice. And yes, that is apostrophe L-O. More tea, I think, said Dumbledore, closing the door behind Harry, Ron, and Hermione, drawing out his wand and twiddling it. A revolving tea tray appeared in midair, along with a plate of cakes. Dumbledore magicked the tray onto the table, and everybody sat down. There was a slight pause, and then Dumbledore said, Did you by any chance hear what Miss Granger was shouting, Hagrid? Hermione went slightly pink, but Dumbledore smiled at her and continued. Hermione, Harry, and Ron still seem to want to know you, judging by the way that they were attempting to break down the door. Of course we still want to know you, Harry said, staring at Hagrid. You don't think that anything that that Skeeter cow— Sorry, Professor, he added quickly, looking at Dumbledore. I have gone temporarily deaf. "'Haven't any idea what you said, Harry,' said Dumbledore, twiddling his thumbs and staring at the ceiling. Uh, "'Right,' said Harry sheepishly. "'I just meant—Hagrid, how could you think that we would care what that woman wrote about you?' 
two fat tears leaked out of Hagrid's beetle-black eyes and fell slowly into his tangled beard. "'Living proof of what I've been telling you, Hagrid,' said Dumbledore, still looking carefully up at the ceiling. "'I have shown you the letters from the countless parents who remember you from their own days here, telling me in no uncertain terms that if I sacked you they would have something to say about it.' "'Not all of them,' said Hagrid hoarsely. "'Not all of them want me to stay.' "'Really, Hagrid, if you're holding out for universal popularity, "'I'm afraid you'll be in this cabin for a very long time,' said Dumbledore, "'now peering sternly over his half-moon spectacles. "'Not a week has passed since I became headmaster of this school "'when I haven't had... At least one owl complaining about the way that I run it. What should I do? Barricade myself in my study and refuse to talk to anybody? You're... you're not half-giant, said Hagrid croakily. Hagrid, look what I've got for relatives, Harry said furiously. Look at the Dursleys! An excellent point, said Professor Dumbledore. My own brother, Aberforth, was prosecuted for having practiced inappropriate charms on a goat. It was all over the papers. But did Aberforth hide? No, he did not. He held his head high and went about his business as usual. Of course, I am not entirely sure that he can read, so that may not have been bravery. Come back and teach, Hagrid, said Hermione quietly. Please, please come back. We really miss you. Hagrid gulped. More tears leaked down his cheeks and into his tangled beard. Dumbledore stood up. I refuse to accept your resignation, Hagrid, and I expect you back to work on Monday, he said. You will join me for breakfast at 8.30 in the Great Hall. No excuses. Good afternoon to you all. Dumbledore left the cabin, pausing only to scratch Fang's ears. When the door had shut behind him, Hackard began to sob into his dustbin-lid-sized hands. Hermione kept patting his arm, and at last Hackard looked up, his eyes very red indeed, and said, Great man, Dumbledore! Great man! Yeah, he is, said Ron. Can I have one of these cakes, Hagrid? Help yourself, said Hagrid, wiping his eyes on the back of his hand. Uh, he's right, of course. You're all right. I've been stupid. My old dad would have been ashamed of the way I've been behaving. More tears leaked out, but he wiped them away on. More tears leaked out, but he wiped them away more forcefully and said, "I never shown you a picture of my dad, have I? Here." Hagrid got up, went over to his dresser, opened a drawer, and pulled out a picture of a short-haired wizard. Excuse me, pulled out a picture of a short wizard with Hagrid's crinkled black eyes, beaming as he sat on top of Hagrid's shoulder. 
Hagrid was a good seven or eight feet tall, judging by the apple tree beside him, but his face was beardless, young, round, and smooth. He looked hardly older than eleven. That was taken just after I got into Hogwarts, Hagrid croaked. My dad was dead chuffed. Thought I might not be a wizard, see, because my mum, uh, well, anyway, of course I never was great shakes at magic, really, <laughs> but at least he never saw me expelled. He died, you see, my second year. Dumbledore was the one who stuck up for me after me dad went. Got me the gamekeeper job. Trusts people, he does. Gives them a second chance. That's what sets him apart from the other heads, see? He'll accept anyone at Hogwarts, as long as they got the talent. Those people can turn out okay, even if their families weren't, well, weren't all that respectable. But some don't understand that. There's some who'd always hold it against you. There's some who'd even pretend they just had big bones rather than stand up and say, I am what I am, and I'm not ashamed. Never be ashamed, my old dad used to say. There's some who hold it against you, but they're not worth bothering with. And he was right, I've been an idiot. And I'm not bothering with her no more, I can promise you that. Big bones. I'll give her big bones. Harry, Ron, and Hermione looked at one another nervously. Harry would rather have taken fifty blast-ended scroots for a walk than to admit to Hagrid that he had overheard him talking to Madame Maxime. But Hagrid was still talking, apparently unaware that he had said anything odd. "'You know what, Harry?' he said, looking up from the photograph of his father, his eyes very bright. "'When I first met you, you reminded me of me a bit. Mum and Dad gone.' He was feeling like you wouldn't fit in at Hogwarts, remember? Not sure that you were really up for it. And now look at you, Harry. School champion! He looked at Harry for a moment, and then said, very seriously, You know what I'd love, Harry? I'd love you to win. I really would. It'd show them all. You don't have to be pure blood to do it. You don't have to be ashamed of what you are. It'd show them Dumbledore's the one who's got it right. Letting anyone in as long as they can do magic. How are you doing with that egg, Harry? Great, said Harry. Really great. Hagrid's miserable face broke into a wide, watery smile. That's my boy. You show him, Harry. You show him. Beat them all. Lying to Hagrid wasn't quite like lying to anyone else. Harry went back to the castle later that afternoon with Ron and Hermione. Unable to banish the image of the happy expression on Hagrid's whiskery face as he had imagined Harry winning the tournament. The incomprehensible egg weighed more heavily than ever on Harry's conscience that evening. By the time they, by the time he got into bed, he'd made up his mind. It was time to shelve his pride and see if Cedric's hint was worth anything.
back to the library we go. Now, as usual, if you don't like this in-between bit, go ahead and skip in the VOD until you see the next chapter's art. Until then, I'm going to take a quick break, five minutes. Got my, my Mike Tyson tattoo stripe going already. Um, I'm going to take a quick break, and then I'm going to come back. I'm going to do some summary. I'm going to eat some beans, because I got beaned real good this week. Um, I don't know if you guys have been telling other people, but if you have, thank you so very much. Um, yeah, I've got 18 new subscribers this week. Good to have people in here. Um, and of course, it's fantastic to have you actually here in the stream with me. Narvel, B, Luke, Noxara, thank you so much for being here. Um, a couple of big thank yous this week. Um, Luke, you know why. I'll get more into that later. Um, uh, different stream once, once it starts to, uh, you know... Once we start to be able to put them up. Um, I talked a little bit for uh, Pride Month last week about, uh, uh, you know, sort of my own personal experience with the movement and uh, got a fantastic support text from Nathan Koch. Nathan, thank you very much. Um, I just want to reiterate, happy Pride Month, everybody. Um, we are in the, the midst of it, uh, you know. The, the the latter third of it i guess but uh yeah thank you so much to uh everyone uh happy pride month and uh thank you of course to those people who were brave enough to do a lot of the hard fighting so that somebody like me who doesn't necessarily consider it a, an enormous part of my identity um somebody like me gets that option you know i i i very well could have just flown under the radar for a long time um probably not had too much trouble with it but there were a lot of people over a long long time who suffered and fought uh so that people like me would be able to choose how important it is in my life um as opposed to it being you know a massive source of anxiety or something so thank you very much for that um we've got some things to talk about um noxara i definitely want to talk about um the uh the prequel that you mentioned in the discord previously to the Hunger Games series. That's going to be interesting. Um, also, I believe we missed something. Um, a a discussion about an extended discussion about um, house elves and Hermione's movement uh, in their uh, in their favor, essentially. Um, and so, I would love to talk about that. And also, I would love to talk about um, uh, the. Let's see. Noxar, you said, I can't decide if I hate or love Albus. And I think that's a good question. Um, if that is based on, well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to get, like, spoilery with things. So let's, uh, we, we can maybe save that one. But eventually I'll talk about it. All right, five-minute break. I'll be back in a bit. See ya. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. What time is it? It's time for beans. As some of you may know, um, I've got a bit of a tradition working right now. Um, every time I get uh, three subs, I eat a bean. But it's not just any bean. It's Birdie Bot's Every Flavor Beans. And as such, today, with 18 new subscribers, I'm doing six beans. So we're doing rapid fire beans. We're doing the bean revolver today. Dragon, hello. Hello yourself, welcome. Um, I hope everyone's had a great week. 
Uh, after I do this, we're going to go into our summary for the chapter, and then we're going to talk a little bit about some stuff, and then we're going to do the next chapter. It's going to be a good one. All right. You guys ready for rapid fire beans? Let's do this, shall we? My lovely assistant is going to help me out. You guys are going to have to trust me at this point. I think it's too much on and off. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shut my eyes, but you guys get to see him. All right. Ready? Out. All right. Go right into the chew this time. That one. Mm, not great. Not awful. Did I have it last week? Doesn't taste like is it watermelon? Doesn't taste like anything I recognize. Earwax? Hmm. Alright, well there's that one. Daniele, welcome back. Alright, do it to me. What do you mean one of two? Hmm. Oh. Okay. Oh, that's, that's really bad. bad. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm trying not to breathe very, very much. <laughs> this, this is not a joke. I gotta get rid of that sucker. That one, was it vomit? It was. Okay, yeah, that's Either nasty. Banana or vomit. Okay. So, <laughs> Oof. Go one of two ways. That was bad. The 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 sausage one tasted worse. Help me keep track of these, by the way. I'm gonna lose track. That was two. Uh, the sausage one tasted worse, but oh man, anytime I inhaled, that was rough. All right, give me the next one. Let it be a good one. Are you picking and choosing again? No. No, it's not a good one. Is it hold on, hold on. It tastes like green pepper, it like so it yeah. must be earthworm, right? It is. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand this. Give me I need one good one. I need one good one. Please. One good one, please. Alright. I'm ready. I'm sweating. You gotta show them. Yeah. Ah. Okay. That one is strawberry. No. Candy floss. Okay. Cotton candy. Oof. Ashlyn, you're in in time uh, before the next chapter. Uh, I've got 18 new subs this week, so I'm eating six beans. I'm on bean number, I think that was four. The first three were rough. I finally got the one I've been dreading. I got the I got the chunder. <laughs> chunder. Bring the chunder. Okay. Yep. Oh. Yeah, I'm decent. Like, a little birthday cakey. Marshmallow? Okay, there you are. Vanilla. So, Luke, as you can see, doing two of them at a time would just be a pitiful mess. I would have no idea what they are. Then I really definitely would have... I would have, I would have needed a tactical chunder and proceed with the stream. Okay. I almost don't want to finish this one off. Ashlyn, you have not missed the recap. 
Oof. Six beans today. All right. Last one, right? Yep. This is... Get at me. Is it one of the same two? No. Okay. How'd you go? Oh, ho, ho. Is it grass? Grass or green? Here? Mm hmm. There's. Mm. <sighs> A lot of monotone left here. Oh, boy. Sausage. Oh, boy. Sausage. Black pepper. Rotten eggs. Don't say that. Don't say it. I don't, don't give me the warning. Don't give me the warning. I don't want the next time on Sam gets beaned. Okay. Thank you very much. Lovely assistant. Yeah. I love you. It wasn't that bad, to be honest. No, the bomb was terrible. I had to get rid of that one. I'm glad we, we were doing rapid fire because it was 100% the worst one. It's the worst one I've had yet. Um... It's not lingering like sausage did, so I'm very thankful for that, but just to the process of eating, it was really terrible. Okay, I tell you what, Luke, if I've got four, if I'm eating four or more beans next week, I will try two at a time. I don't want to like cut the process all the way down and make it super short, but if I've got four or more, I will, I will give the, I will give the double barrel beaning a try. <laughs> okay, now, um, before we go into the, the summary for the next chapter, or for the last chapter, I want to talk about a couple of things. I've actually got, honestly, there's a ton of stuff to talk about. Um, so maybe we want to bump some of it to after the stream. I don't know exactly. Well, so a couple of things. First of all, um, I'm not going to fault anybody because I recognize Rita Skeeter is an awful woman. Uh, she's presented as such. The idea, I think the intent of the author is that we get the impression that she's pretty awful. Um, that said, uh, it actually kind of leads me into something that I wanted to talk about from last week. Um, last week we had um, a disagreement here on the stream. Um, it was me and I'm not going to call anybody out by name because I don't think that's cool, but um, I disagree with somebody who had some strong opinions about what, uh, about the, the validity or the suspiciousness of any relationship between Hermione and Victor Crumb because of the age difference. Um, the, the, I, I don't think that the style or the, the content of the argument is super important. Um, I think, you know, I'm not, I'm not it, it was ambiguous, so I'm not going to declare that either one of us is right or wrong about it. Um, but I do think that it brings up something important, which is that with Rita Skeeter or with somebody you're in a disagreement about um, something with, too many, <laughs> too many of those. Um, it's important that we remember how to communicate with each other. Um, we are in a position right now where um, being out in the world, it's really easy to divide us. And when I say we, I think what I mean by that is people who want good things for the world. We're, we're easy to divide right now. I think that's a kind of a dangerous position to be in, but between everyone who wants good things for the world, uh, whether that is, you know, comes in the form of any kind of uh, social um, uh, social justice or, um, you know, good things for the environment, good things for other people, uh, 
there can be a lot of different opinions thrown around in there, even among good people. You know, uh, the 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 issue of well, well, we might all celebrate Pride Month or something. Um, we might have a serious disagreement about how we feel about veganism or, um, you know, whose responsibility it really is f to uh, take care of the problems we're experiencing from climate change. We can have a lot of disagreements, and it's important, I think, to remember that because, because we want good things and because we may disagree about how those good things should be brought about, we can be easy to divide. And I just want to remind everyone that, uh, you know, I don't think Rita Skeeter's intent is pure. I don't think she's a good person. But um, for for anyone where you you trust them to want good things in the world, it's important to remember we are easily divided. We can be if we're too reactionary. So I don't want that to be me. I'm reminding myself that as much as anyone else. But uh, I do think it's an important thing to think about. So there's that. Um, Naxara, I definitely want to talk about the uh, prequel to um, the Hunger Games series. I also want to talk more about Hermione and her um, campaign for elf rights. Um, I would love to do that after the stream. So let me take a note so I'm not going to forget. I'm not going to forget this time. Prequel. Ooh, boy. Let's see if I can read that later. And elf rights. I don't remember, Noxar, if it was you or if it was someone else, but I do know. It was a discussion that we were going to have, and by golly, let's have it, shall we? Okay, on to our summary for this next chapter. Thanks, y'all, for hanging out with me today. Last chapter, um, we found out that Rita Skeeter wrote a pretty scathing article about Hagrid. Um, it reveals to a much wider audience than Hagrid wanted it revealed to, that Hagrid is in fact half-giant. Giants are known for being vicious and frankly evil. Um, that is sort of the common perception of them in the wizarding world. And Rita Skeeter's article really takes advantage of that and takes advantage of a couple of honestly not terribly clever tricks, but... Um, her intent in the article is certainly to make Hagrid seem like a very, very bad guy. Um, even though, as we all know, Hagrid's fine. Who does she interview? None other than Malfoy and his goons, who of course are willing to support her, uh, the thesis that she has going in, which is that Hagrid is a terrible, terrible person. Um, Harry, Hermione, Ron, obviously furious about this. Um, anytime, you know, somebody starts really harshing one of your, somebody that you care about, it's going to get your, your hackles raised. Um, the deal. The closer I get, the more invisible I am. Anyway. Um, they go down to Hogsmeade, um, and in spite of, you know, their many efforts to try and get Hagrid to come out, to re-engage, um, he's unwilling to do so. Harry, in the midst of this entire chapter, is insisting to others and to himself that he's got the whole egg thing pretty well covered. Um, he doesn't really want to use the hint that Cedric gave him to take a bath with the egg. Um, he's not feeling great about Cedric at all right now. 
But um, clearly, Hagrid's in a rough state, and at the very end of the chapter, um, after a, a brief interlude in the Three Broomsticks with Ludo Bagman and some suspicious-looking goblins, um, after that interlude, Harry, Hermione, and Ron have a chance to speak to Hagrid finally, and Hagrid seems so, so intent, so proud of Harry, really. Um, and his 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 real show of of ingenuity uh, and bravery during these Triwizard Tournament tasks. He's so impressed with Harry that Harry feels guilty enough that he decides it's time to use Cedric's clue. Time to put his pride on the shelf and give out that clue. Give that give that boy. Good grief. Give that clue a try. So that's where we're at, um, as usual. If anyone has anything they'd like to talk about, oop, I'm getting a little bit of that after bean flavor. Not great. Oh, it's like moldy fruit salad. Um, as usual, go ahead and put anything you'd like to talk about in chat. I would love to discuss it. I'll either pause during the chapter or I will go ahead and wait until after the chapter's over. We can talk about it then, like we will about the prequel and Elf Rites. So, let's do this, shall we? Chapter 25, The Egg and the Eye. As Harry had no idea how long a bath he would need to work out the secret of the golden egg, he decided to do it at night, when he would be able to take as much time as he wanted. Reluctant though he was to accept more favors from Cedric, he also decided to use the prefect's bathroom. Far fewer people were allowed in here, so it was much less likely that he would be disturbed disturbed. Harry planned his excursion carefully, because he had been caught out of bed and out of bounds by Filch the caretaker in the middle of the night once before, and had no desire to repeat the experience. The invisibility cloak would, of course, be essential, and as an added precaution, Harry thought he would take the Marauder's Map, which, next to the cloak, was the most useful aid to rule-breaking Harry owned. The map showed the whole of Hogwarts, including its many shortcuts and secret passageways, and, most important of all, it revealed the people inside the castle as minuscule labeled dots moving around the corridors, so that Harry would be forewarned if somebody was approaching the bathroom. On Thursday night, Harry sneaked up to bed, put on the cloak, crept back downstairs, and just as he had done on the night when Hagrid had shown him the dragons, waited for the portrait hole to open. This time it was Ron who waited outside to give the fat lady the password. Banana fritters. Good luck, Ron muttered, climbing into the room as Harry crept out past him. It was awkward moving under the cloak tonight because Harry had the heavy egg under one arm and the map held in front of his nose with the other. However, the moonlit corridors were empty and silent and by checking the map at strategic intervals, Harry was able to ensure that he wouldn't run into anyone he wanted to avoid. When he reached the statue of Boris the Bewildered, a lost-looking wizard with his gloves on the wrong hands, he located the right door, leaned close to it, and muttered the password, Pinefresh, just as Cedric had told him. 
door creaked open. Harry slipped inside, bolted the door behind him, and pulled off the invisibility cloak, looking around. His immediate reaction was that it, it would be worth becoming a prefect just to be able to use this bathroom. It was softly lit by a splendid, candle-filled chandelier, and everything was made of white marble, including what looked like an empty, rectangular swimming pool sunk into the middle of the floor. About a hundred golden taps stood all around the pool's edges, each with a differently colored jewel set into its handle. It was also a diving board. Long white linen curtains hung at the windows. A large pile of fluffy white towels sat in a corner, and there was a single golden-framed painting on the wall. It featured a blonde mermaid who was fast asleep on a rock, her long hair over her face. It fluttered every time she snored. Harry moved forward, looking around, his footsteps echoing off the walls. Magnificent though the bathroom was, and quite keen though he was to try out a few of those taps, now he was here, he couldn't quite suppress the feeling that Cedric might have been having him on. How on earth was this supposed to help solve the mystery of the egg? Nevertheless, he put on one of the fluffy towels, the cloak, the map, and the egg, Nevertheless, he put one of the fluffy towels, the cloak, the map, and the egg at the side of the swimming pool-sized bath, then knelt down and turned on a few of the taps. He could tell at once that they carried different sorts of bubble bath mixed with the water, though it wasn't bubble bath as Harry had ever experienced it. One tap gushed pink and blue bubbles the size of footballs, another poured ice-white foam so thick Harry thought it would have supported his weight if he cared to test it. A third sent heavily perfumed purple clouds hovering over the surface of the water. Harry amused himself for a while, turning the taps on and off, particularly enjoying the effect of one whose jet bounced off the surface of the water in large arcs. Then, when the deep pool was full of hot water, foam, and bubbles, which took a very short time considering its size, Harry turned off all the taps, pulled off his pajamas, slippers, and dressing gown, and slid into the water. It was so deep that his feet barely touched the bottom, and he actually did a couple of lengths before swimming back to the side and treading water, staring at the egg. Highly enjoyable, though it was, to swim in hot and foamy water with clouds of differently colored steam wafting all around him, no stroke of brilliance came to him, no sudden burst of understanding. Harry stretched out his arms lifted the egg in his wet hands and opened it. The wailing, screeching sound filled the bathroom, echoing and reverberating off its marble walls, but it sounded just as incomprehensible as ever, if not more so with all the echoes. He snapped it shut again, worried that the sound would attract Filch, wondering whether that hadn't been Cedric's plan. And then, making him jump so badly that he dropped the egg, which clattered away across the bathroom floor, someone spoke. I would try putting it in the water if I were you. Harry had swallowed up a considerable amount of bubbles in shock. He stood up, sputtering, and saw the ghost of a very glum-looking girl sitting cross-legged on top of one of the taps. 
it was Moaning Myrtle, who was usually to be heard sobbing in the S-bend of a toilet three floors below. Myrtle! Harry said in outrage. I'm... I'm not wearing anything! The foam was so dense that this hardly mattered, but he had a nasty feeling that Myrtle had been spying on him from one of the taps ever since he had arrived. I closed my eyes when you got in, she said, blinking at him through her thick spectacles. You haven't been able to see me for ages. Yeah, well, said Harry, bending his knees slightly just to make absolutely sure Myrtle didn't see anything but his head. I'm not supposed to come into your bathroom, am I? It's a girl's one. You didn't used to care, said Myrtle miserably. You used to be in there all the time. This was true, though only because Harry, Ron, and Hermione had found Myrtle's out-of-order toilets a convenient place to brew polyjuice potion in secret. A forbidden potion that had turned him and Ron into living replicas of Crab and Goyle for an hour that they could sneak into the Slytherin common room. I got told off for going in there, said Harry, which was half true. Percy had once caught him coming out of Myrtle's bathroom. I thought I'd better not come back after that. Oh, I see, said Myrtle, picking at a spot on her chin in a morose sort of way. Well, anyway... I would try the egg in the water. That's what Cedric Diggory did. Have you been spying on him too? said Harry indignantly. What do you do, sneak up here in the evenings and watch the prefect take baths? Sometimes, said Myrtle, rather slyly. But I've never come out to speak to anyone before. I'm honoured, said Harry darkly. You keep your eyes shut. He made sure Myrtle had her glasses well covered before hoisting himself out of the bath, wrapping the towel firmly around his waist and going to retrieve the egg. Once he was back in the water, Myrtle peered through her fingers and said, Go on then. Open it under the water. Harry lowered the egg beneath the foamy surface and opened it. This time it did not wail. A gurgling song was coming out of it, a song whose words he couldn't distinguish through the water. You need to put your head under too, said Myrtle, who seemed to be thoroughly enjoying bossing him around. Go on. Harry took a great breath and slid under the surface. And now, sitting on the marble bottom of the bubble-filled bath, he heard a chorus of eerie voices singing to him from the open egg in his hands. I need a <laughs> I need a melody for this song. Um Well, this is going to make you giggle if you are from a certain background. Come seek us where our voices sound. We cannot sing above the ground. And while you're searching ponder this, we've taken what you'll sorely miss. An hour long you'll have to look, and to recover what we took. But 
past an hour, the prospect's black. Too late, it's gone, it won't come back. Harry let himself float up backward and broke the bubbly surface, shaking his hair out of his eyes. Did you hear it? said Myrtle. Yeah. Come seek us where our voices sound. And if I need persuading... Hang on, I need to listen to it again. He sank back beneath the water. It took three more underwater renditions of the egg's song before Harry had it memorized. Then he trod the water for a while, thinking hard, while Myrtle sat and watched him. I've got to go and look for people who can't use their voices above the ground, he said slowly. Uh, who could that be? You're slow, aren't you? Ashlyn, thank you. He had never seen Moaning Myrtle so cheerful, apart from the day when a dose of polyjuice potion had given Hermione the hairy face and tail of a cat. Harry stared around the bathroom, thinking. If the voices could only be heard underwater, then it made sense for them to belong to underwater creatures. He ran this theory past Myrtle, who smirked at him. Well, that's what Cedric Diggory thought, she said. He lay there talking to himself for ages about it. Ages and ages. Nearly all the bubbles had gone. Underwater, Harry said slowly. Myrtle, what lives in the lake, apart from the giant squid? Oh, all sorts, she said. I sometimes go down there, sometimes don't have any choice if someone flushes my toilet when I'm not expecting it. Trying not to think about Moaning Myrtle zooming down a pipe to the lake with the contents of a toilet, Harry said, Well, does anything in there have a human voice? Hang on. Harry's eyes had fallen on the picture of the snoozing mermaid on the wall. Thank you, Noxara. Myrtle, there aren't mer-people in there, are there? Oh, very good, she said, her thick glasses twinkling. It took Tiggery much longer than that, and that was with her awake, too. Myrtle jerked her head toward the mermaid with an expression of great dislike on her glum face giggling and showing off and flashing her fins. Well, that's it, isn't it? said Harry excitedly. The second task is to go and find the merpeople in the lake, and... and... But he suddenly realized what he was saying, and he felt the excitement drain out of him as though someone had just pulled a plug on his stomach. He wasn't a very good swimmer. He'd never had much practice. Dudley had had lessons in his youth, but Aunt Petunia and Uncle Vernon no doubt hoping that Harry would drown one day, hadn't bothered to give him any. A couple of lengths of this bath weren't all... A couple of lengths of this bath were all very well, but that lake was very large, very deep, and merpeople would surely live right at the bottom. Myrtle, he said slowly, how am I supposed to breathe? At this, Myrtle's eyes filled with sudden tears again. Tactless, she muttered, groping in her robes for a handkerchief. What's tactless? said Harry, bewildered. 
talking about breathing in front of me, she said shrilly, and her voice echoed loudly around the bathroom. And I can't, and I haven't, not for ages. Daniele found the donut. I'm surprised y'all didn't see it the last chapter, or if you did, nobody called it out. I had to put it in maybe a little bit more obvious of a spot than I usually do. She buried her face in the handkerchief and sniffed loudly. Harry remembered how touchy Myrtle had always been about being dead, but none of the other ghosts he knew made such a fuss about it. Sorry, he said impatiently. I didn't mean, I just forgot. Oh yes, very easy to forget Myrtle's dead, said Myrtle, gulping, looking at him out of swollen eyes. Nobody missed me even when I was alive. It took them hours and hours to find my body. You know, I was sitting there waiting for them. Olive Hornby came into the bathroom. How are you? Are you in here sulking again, Myrtle? She said. Oh, well. Are you in here sulking again, Myrtle? She said, because Professor Dippet asked me to look for you. And then she saw my body. Ooh, she didn't forget it until her dying day. I made sure of that. Followed her around and reminded her I did. I remember at her brother's wedding. But Harry wasn't listening. He was thinking about the merpeople's song again. We've taken what you'll sorely miss. It sounded as though they were going to steal something of his, something that he had to get back. What were they going to take? Daniela, you've spotted the donuts in the past. I believe it. You'll be able to find it later. And then, of course, she went to the Ministry of Magic to stop me stalking her, so I had to come back here and live in my toilet. Good, said Harry vaguely. Well, I'm a lot further on than I was. Shut your eyes again, will you? I'm getting out. He retrieved the egg from the bottom of the bath, climbed out, dried himself, and put on his pajamas and dressing gown again. Will you come and visit me in my bathroom again sometime? Moaning Myrtle asked mournfully as Harry picked up the invisibility cloak. Uh, I'll try, Harry said, though privately thinking the only way he'd be visiting Myrtle's bathroom again was if every other toilet in the castle got blocked. I'll see you, Myrtle. Thanks for your help. Bye-bye, she said gloomily, as Harry put on the invisibility cloak and saw her zoom back up the tap. Out in the dark corridor, Harry examined the Marauder's map to check if the coast was still clear. Yes, the dots belonging to Filch and his cat, Mrs. Norris, were safely in their office. Nothing else seemed to be moving, apart from Peeves, though he was bouncing around the trophy room on the floor above. Harry had taken his first step back toward Gryffindor Tower, when something else on the map caught his eye. Something distinctly odd. Peeves was not the only thing that was moving. A single dot was flitting around the room in the bottom left-hand corner, Snape's office. But the dot wasn't labeled Severus Snape. It was Bartimaeus Crouch. Harry stared at the dot. 
Mr. Crouch was supposed to be too ill to go to work or to come to the Yule Ball. So what was he doing sneaking into Hogwarts at one o'clock in the morning? Harry watched closely as the dot moved around and around the room, pausing here and there. Harry hesitated, thinking. And then his curiosity got the better of him. He turned and set off in the opposite direction toward the nearest staircase. He was going to see what Crouch was up to. Harry walked down the stairs as quietly as possible, though the faces in some of the portraits still turned curiously at the squeak of a floorboard, the rustle of his pajamas. He crept along the corridor below, pushed aside a tapestry about halfway along, and proceeded down a narrower staircase, a shortcut that would take him down two floors. He kept glancing down at the map, wondering. Just didn't seem in character somehow for correct, law-abiding Mr. Crouch to be sneaking around somebody else's office this late at night. And then, halfway down the stairs, not thinking about what he was doing, not concentrating on anything but the peculiar behavior of Mr. Crouch, Harry's leg suddenly sank right through the trick step Neville always forgot to jump. He gave an ungainly wobble, and the golden egg, still damp from the bath, slipped from under his arm. He lurched forward to try and catch it, but too late. The egg fell down the long staircase with a bang as loud as a bass drum on every step. The invisibility cloak slipped. Harry snatched at it, and the marauder's map fluttered out of his hand and slid six feet down the stairs, where, sunk in the step above his knee, he couldn't reach it. The golden egg fell through the tapestry at the bottom of the staircase, burst open, and began wailing loudly in the corridor below. Harry pulled out his wand and struggled to touch the marauder's map, to wipe it blank, but it was too far away to reach. Pulling the cloak back over himself, Harry straightened up, listening hard with his eyes screwed up with fear. And almost immediately... Peeves! General, welcome back. It was the unmistakable haunting cry of Filch the caretaker. Harry could see his rapid... Harry could hear his rapid, shuffling footsteps coming nearer and nearer, his wheezy voice raised in fury. Where's the racket? Wake up the whole school, will ya? I'll have you, Peeves. I'll have ya. You... And what is this? Filch's footsteps halted. It was a clunk of metal on metal, and the wailing stopped. Filch had picked up the egg and closed it. Harry stood very still, one leg still jammed tightly in the magical step, listening. Any moment now, Filch was going to pull aside the tapestry, expecting to see Peeves. And there would be no Peeves. But if he came up the stairs, he would spot the Marauder's Map, and the Invisibility Cloak or not... Oh, and Invisibility Cloak or not, the map would show Harry Potter standing exactly where he was. Egg? Bilch said quietly at the foot of the steps. My sweet! Mrs. Norris was obviously with him. This is a triwizard clue. It belongs to a school champion. Harry felt sick. His heart was hammering very fast. Peeves! Filch roared gleefully. 
You've been stealing. He ripped back the tapestry below, and Harry saw his horrible pouchy face and bulging pale eyes staring up the dark. And to Filch, deserted staircase. Hiding, are you? He said softly. I'm coming to get you, Peeves. You've gone and you've stolen a triwizard clue, Peeves. Dumbledore will have you out of here for this, you filthy pilfering poltergeist. Filch started to climb the stairs, his scrawny, dust-colored cat at his heels. Mrs. Norris's lamp-like eyes, so very like her master's, were fixed directly upon Harry. He had had occasion before now to wonder whether the invisibility cloak worked on cats. Sick with apprehension, he watched Filch drawing nearer and nearer in his old flannel dressing gown. He tried desperately to pull out his trapped leg, but it merely sank a few more inches. Any second now, Filch was going to spot the map or walk right into him. Filch, what's going on? Filch stopped a few steps below Harry and turned. At the foot of the stairs stood the only person who could make Harry's situation worse. Snape. He was wearing a long gray nightshirt, and he looked livid. Peeves, Professor, Filch whispered malevolently. He threw this egg down the stairs. Snape climbed up the stairs quickly and stopped beside Filch. Harry gritted his teeth. Convinced his loudly thumping heart would give him away at any second. Peeves, said Snape softly, staring at the egg in Filch's hands. But Peeves couldn't get into my office. This egg was in your office, Professor? Of course not, Snape snapped. I heard it banging and wailing. Yes, Professor, that was the egg. I was coming to investigate. Peeves through it, Professor. And when I passed my office, I saw that the torches were lit and the cupboard door was ajar. Somebody has been searching it. But Peeves couldn't. I know he couldn't filch. Snape snapped again. I sealed my office with a spell none but a wizard could break. Snape looked up the stairs, straight through Harry, and then down into the corridor below. I want you to come and help me search for the intruder, Filch. I yes, Professor, but... Uh... Filch looked yearningly up the stairs, right through Harry, who could see that he was very reluctant to forego the chance of cornering Peeves. Go, Harry pleaded with him silently. Go with Snape, go. Mrs. Norris was peering around Filch's legs. Harry had the distraction. Harry had the distinct impression she could smell him. Why had he filled that bath with so much perfumed foam? The thing is, Professor, said Filch plaintively, the headmaster will have to listen to me this time. Peeves has been stealing from a student. Might be my chance to get him thrown out of the castle once and for all. Filch, I don't give a damn about that wretched poltergeist. It's my office that's. Clunk, clunk, clunk. Snape stopped talking very abruptly. He and Filch both looked down at the foot of the stairs. Harry saw Mad-Eye Moody limp into sight through the narrow gap between
between their heads. Moody was wearing his old traveling cloak over his nightshirt, and leaning on his staff as usual. Pajama party, is it? he growled up the stairs. Professor Snape and I heard noises, Professor, said Filch at once. He's the poltergeist, throwing things around as usual. And then Professor Snape discovered that someone has broken into his off- Shut up! Snape hissed to Filch. Moody took a step closer to the foot of the stairs. Harry saw Moody's magical eye travel over Snape, and then, unmistakably, onto himself. Harry's heart gave a horrible jolt. Moody could see through invisibility cloaks. He alone could see the full strangeness of the scene. Snape in his nightshirt, Filch clutching the egg, and he, Harry, trapped in the stairs behind them. Moody's lopsided gash of a mouth opened in surprise. For a few seconds, he and Harry stared straight into each other's eyes. Then Moody closed his mouth and turned his blue eye upon Snape again. Did I hear that correctly, Snape? He said slowly. Someone broke into your office. It is unimportant, said Snape coldly. On the contrary, growled Moody. It's very important. Who'd want to break into your office? A student, I dare say, said Snape. Harry could see a vein flickering horribly on Snape's greasy temple. It has happened before. Potion ingredients have gone missing from my private store cupboard. Students attempting illicit mixtures, no doubt. You reckon they were after potion ingredients, eh? said Moody. Not hiding anything else in your office, are you? Harry saw the edge of Snape's sallow face turn a nasty brick color, the vein in his temple pulsing more rapidly. You know I'm hiding nothing, Moody, he said in a soft and dangerous voice, as you have searched my office pretty thoroughly yourself. Moody's face twisted into a smile. Horrors, privilege, Snape! Dumbledore told me to keep an eye! Dumbledore happens to trust me, said Snape through clenched teeth. I refuse to believe that he gave you orders to search my office. Of course Dumbledore trusts you, growled Moody. He's a trusting man, isn't he? Believes in second chances, but me, I say there are spots that don't come off, Snape. Spots that never come off. You know what I mean? Snape suddenly did something very strange. He seized his left forearm convulsively with his right hand, as though something on it had hurt him. Moody laughed. <laughs> Get back to bed, Snape. You don't have the authority to send me anywhere, Snape hissed, letting go of his arm as though angry with himself. I have as much right to prowl this school after dark as you do. Prowl away, said Moody, but his voice was full of menace. I look forward to meeting you in a dark corridor sometime. You've dropped something, by the way. With a stab of horror, Harry saw Moody point at the Marauder's Map, still lying on the staircase, six steps below him. 
as Snape and Filch both turned to look at it. Harry threw caution to the winds. He raised his arms under the cloak and waved furiously to Moody to attract his attention, mouthing, It's mine! Mine! Snape had reached out for it, a horrible expression of dawning comprehension on his face. Akio Parchment! The Snape flew up into the air. The Snape, hello? The map flew up into the air, slipped through Snape's outstretched fingers, and soared down the stairs into Moody's hand. My mistake, Moody said calmly. It's mine. Must have dropped earlier. But Snape's black eyes were darting from the egg in Filch's arms to the map in Moody's hand, and Harry could tell he was putting two and two together, as only Snape could. Potter, he said quietly. What's that? said Moody calmly, folding up the map and pocketing it. Potter, Snape snarled, and he actually turned his head and stared right at the space where Harry was, as though he could suddenly see him. That egg is Potter's egg. That piece of parchment belongs to Potter. I've seen it before. I recognize it. Potter is here. Potter in his invisibility cloak. Snape stretched out his hands like a blind man and began to move up the stairs. He could have sworn his over-large nostrils were dilating, trying to sniff Harry out. Trapped. Harry leaned backward, trying to avoid Snape's fingers, but any moment now. There's nothing there, Snape, barked Moody. But I'll be happy to tell the headmaster how quickly your mind jumped to Harry Potter. Meaning what? Snape turned again to look at Moody, his hand still outstretched inches from Harry's chest. Meaning that Dumbledore is very interested to know who's got it in for that boy, said Moody, limping still nearer to the foot of the stairs. And so am I, Snape, very interested. The torchlight flickered across his mangled face, so that the scars, and the chunk missing from his nose, looked deeper and darker than ever. Snape was looking down at Moody, and Harry couldn't see the expression on his face. For a moment, nobody moved or said anything. Then Snape slowly lowered his hands. I merely thought said Snape, in a voice of forced calm. That if Potter was wandering around school after hours again, it's an unfortunate habit of his. You should be stopped. For... for his own safety. Ah, I see, said Moody softly. Got Potter's best interests at heart, have you? There was a pause. Snape and Moody were still staring at each other. Mrs. Norris gave a loud meow, still peering around Filch's legs, looking for the source of Harry's bubble bath smell. I think I'll go back to bed, Snape said curtly. Best idea you've had all night, said Moody. Now, Filch, if you'll just give me that egg. No! said Filch, clutching the egg as though it were his first-born son. Professor Moody, this is evidence of Peeves' treachery. It's the property of the champion he stole it from, said Moody. 
Hand it over now. Snape swept downstairs and passed Moody without another word. Filch made a chirping noise to Mrs. Norris, who stared blankly at Harry for a few more seconds before turning and following her master. Still breathing very fast, Harry heard Snape walking away down the corridor. Filch handed Moody the egg and disappeared from view, too, muttering to Mrs. Norris. Never mind, my sweet. We'll see Dumbledore in the morning. Tell him what Peeves was up to. A door slammed. Harry was left staring down at Moody, who placed his staff in the bottommost chair. Chair. Who placed his staff on the bottommost stair and started to climb laboriously toward him, a dull clunk on every other step. Close shave, Potter, he muttered. Yeah, I, uh, thanks, said Harry weakly. What is this thing? said Moody, drawing the Marauder's map out of his pocket and unfolding it. It's a map of Hogwarts, said Harry, hoping Moody was going to pull him out of the staircase soon. His leg was really starting to hurt him. Merlin's beard, Moody whispered, staring at the map, his magical eye going haywire. This, this is some map, Potter. Yeah, it's quite useful, Harry said. His eyes were starting to water from the pain. <laughs> uh, Professor Moody, do you think you could help me? What? Oh, yeah, yes, of course. Bruce, hashtag chairway to Potter. Good to know we've got another hashtagger in here. Y'all are just waiting. You're like tigers, just just prowling out there. Waiting for me to slip up. Ah, what can you do? Scream go wonky. Moody took out... Uh, Moody took hold of one of Harry's arms and pulled. Harry's leg came free of the trick step and he climbed out to the one above it. Moody was still gazing at the map. Putter, he said slowly. <laughs> you didn't happen by any chance to see who broke into Snape's office, did you? On this map, I mean. Um, yeah, I did, Harry admitted. It was Mr. Crouch. Moody's magical eye whizzed over the entire surface of the map. He looked suddenly alarmed. Crouch, he said. You're... You're sure, Potter? Positive, said Harry. Well, he's not here anymore, said Moody, his eye still whizzing over the map. Crouch, that's very, very interesting. It's all good, Bruce, don't worry about it. He said nothing for almost a minute, still staring at the map. Harry could tell that this news meant something to Moody and very much wanted to know what it was. He wondered whether he dared ask. Moody scared him slightly. Yet Moody had just helped him to avoid an awful lot of trouble. Um, Professor Moody, why do you reckon Mr. Crouch wanted to look around Snape's office? Moody's magical eye left the map and fixed quivering upon Harry. 
It was a penetrating stare, and Harry had the impression that Moody was sizing him up, wondering whether to answer it or not, or how much to tell him. Put it this way, Potter, Moody muttered finally. They say old Mad-Eye's obsessed with catching dark wizards, but I'm nothing. Nothing compared to Barty Crouch. He continued to stare at the map. Harry was burning to know more. Professor Moody, he said again, do you think... could this have anything to do with... maybe Professor... maybe Mr. Crouch thinks there's something going on? Like what? said Moody sharply. Harry wondered how much he dare say. He didn't want Moody to guess that he had a source of information outside Hogwarts. It might lead to tricky questions about Sirius. I don't know, Harry muttered. Odd stuff has been happening lately, hasn't it? It's been in the Daily Prophet. The Dark Mark at the World Cup and the Death Eaters and everything. Both of Moody's mismatched eyes widened. You're a sharp boy, Potter, he said, his magical eye roving back to the Marauder's map. Crouch could be thinking along those lines, he said slowly. Very possible. There have been some funny rumors flying around lately. Helped along by Rita Skeeter, of course. Making a lot of people nervous, I reckon. A grim smile twisted his lopsided mouth. Oh, if there's one thing I hate, he muttered. More to himself than to Harry and his magical eye was fixed on the left-hand corner of the map. It's a Death Eater who walked free. Harry stared at him. Did Moody possibly mean what Harry thought he meant? And now I want to ask you a question, Potter, said Moody, in a more business-like tone. Harry's heart sank. He had thought this was coming. Moody was going to ask where he had got this map, which was a various dubious, which was a very dubious magical object, and the story of how it had fallen into his hands incriminated not only him but his own father, Fred and George Weasley, and Professor Lupin, their last defense against the dark arts creature. Creature, hello, teacher. <laughs> Moody waved the map in front of Harry, who braced himself. Good night, Luke. Thanks for coming down. I look forward to collaborating. Um, Moody waved the map in front of Harry, who braced himself. Can I borrow this? Oh, said Harry. He was very fond of this map. But on the other hand, he was extremely relieved that Moody wasn't asking where he'd got it. There was no doubt he owed Moody a favor. Yeah, okay. Good boy growled Moody. I can make good use of this. Might be exactly what I've been looking for. Right, Potter, come on now. Bed. They climbed to the top of the stairs together, Moody still examining the map as though it were a treasure, the like of which he had never seen before. They walked in silence up to the door of Moody's office, where he stopped and looked up at Harry. You ever thought of a career as an auror, Potter? 
No, said Harry, taken aback. You want to consider it, said Moody, nodding and looking at Harry thoughtfully. Yes, indeed. And incidentally, I'm guessing you weren't just taking that egg for a walk tonight. Um, no, said Harry, grinning. I've been working out the clue. Moody winked at him, his magical eye going haywire again. Nothing like a nighttime stroll to give you ideas, Potter. I'll see you in the morning. He went back into his office, staring down at the Marauder's Map again and closed the door behind him. Harry walked slowly back to Gryffindor Tower, lost in thought about Snape and Crouch and what it all meant. Why was Crouch pretending to be ill if he could manage to get into Hogwarts when he wanted to? What did he think Snape was concealing in his office? And Moody thought he, Harry, ought to be an Auror. Interesting idea, but somehow, Harry thought, as he got quietly into his four-poster ten minutes later, the egg and the cloak now safely back in his trunk, he thought he'd like to check how scarred the rest of them were before he chose it as a career. That is the end of our chapter for tonight. Thank you all very much for watching. We got a couple of things to talk about. I didn't forget them because they're on my post-it note right here. Um, first of all, Luke, I think you've already headed out, but great to have you here tonight. Hope you have a good night. Good week. Um, let's go back to the library really quick. Let's see. Uh, DJ is asking when I will make Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix chapters. I am going straight through in order. So, in other words, um, at the rate of two chapters a week, which is about how we've been plugging along, I would guess, um, five weeks? A little over a month? We shall see. Um, I'm going to be on a trip for a while, so, um, it's possible that the stream frequency will be nerfed a bit during that time. Uh, we'll have to see what I've got time for. But, um, Bruce says, I mean, we've got werewolves and half giants as teachers, so why not, right? Um, I'm with you, man. Uh, they do talk a little bit about this, um, specifically the werewolf bit, but, um, I think, uh, well, people didn't know so much about the werewolf thing initially either. And once people find out, there's always the prejudice. Hermione talks about it. The bigotry, which is, I think, uh, one of the things that is on our list. Elf rights. Um, and a, a bit of bigotry related to that. Uh, I know that Noxara um, or somebody in chat, it's been tough because there have been a couple of name changes, Noxara, one of them, um, but uh, I know we wanted to have a discussion about <laughs> about um, uh, Elf Rights and Hermione's efforts there toward. Um, I guess really quick before we get to that, uh, Michaela says, hashtag lonely, lonely Iowa boy reunited. Um, Nate, did you sell your, like, the black bike or Van Gogh? Or Vincent, I should say. And then uh, General. I don't know if you're still in chat right now, but um, we talked a little bit about it. Um, it. It felt like a good opportunity just to talk about. Um, you, can, you can, you know, go look at the VOD for the 
extended discussion about it, but um, essentially what we came out to was A, I'm glad you're back, and B, um, it makes sense when, when people disagree about certain things. I think everyone's coming into some of these things with, um, you know, different, it can be anything from traumas or experiences uh, to different information or education on things, um, and that it's okay for us to disagree. Uh, we just have to remember not to be separated and isolated by it because i think it's easy to people who want good things are easy to divide and i know you know it's it's easy for me to tell general that what you wanted from that discussion was uh something good something something that protects young people from from uh and you know from people who might wish them harm I, I know that's what was going through your head uh and so yeah i'm glad you're back hopefully uh I think we all we all share the a, a similar idea about that. But yeah, we got to remember how to communicate. Remember to uh, keep ourselves together because that's how we're stronger. Elf writes. I don't know exactly where uh, we wanted to to head with this. Yeah, Noxara says I think it was me who suggested it. Yeah, um, but uh, I think you know her effort. She's been incredibly brave this book, right? Um, Hermione has been a, a very brave individual. She has, um, she feels like the star of this one in a lot of ways. You know, all of the responsibilities that would normally fall to Harry for keeping things, you know, for, for this book, uh, the things that would normally fall to Harry to like be, be uh, a uniter and a leader. He's busy with the World Cup or the, the, the um, Triwizard Tournament. So it seems like Hermione is picking up all of that slack. She is the one who is, is going to reinforce to Hagrid um, by force, if necessary, that he is loved and he uh, is not, you know, they're not going to let someone like Rita Skeeter divide them with some clickbaity nonsense. Um, uh, much in the same way, SPEW, uh, Fighting for Elf Rights, this is something that is brave because not because people will think that she is um let's see that she is evil in some way because i don't think people do but just because she's fighting up she's fighting against apathy and fighting against the idea that people don't care about something is i think tougher to work against than people who disagree about something um yeah, General, I think Hermione has a lot to say in the books um, that she doesn't get a chance to communicate as much in the movies. Nathan, I'm going to ignore you. Dobby's good. I like Dobby. Lots of... I mean, that's, that's one thing that, uh, among other bits of this book and some of the coming ones, um, people don't get to see as much in the movies. Um, they don't get to see, essentially, the, the community that is formed up... Um, in the books in the same way people are really treated as characters rather than part of a whole movement and it's important it's important that we see that especially right now you know what i mean there are lots of people who um well i mean we're in the midst of a bit of a mess we're we're we are fighting against a group of people who believe that that uh blood purity is something that is to be prized um and to be used as an excuse to disregard treating other people well. Um, you know, we've got the, the Death Eaters that we're dealing with here. And so watching the community form up and all of the small parts that, that uh, were important in the community that formed up to oppose that, 
that terrible element of society, the Death Eaters, um, and the Blood Purists. We don't get to see all of the tiny acts that that uh, helped, all of the tiny acts that were so important. Um, Hermione was incredibly important throughout that process, and and her fight to to add elves to I don't want to say to the ranks, but but you can see how it's important. Um, uh, the elves needed their own agency; they needed the ability to participate, um, like wizards did. Otherwise, you know, the 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 entire movement of wizards that supported. Um, Wizards that, that oppose, here's how I'll say it. Wizards who oppose the Death Eaters need allies, right? And so ignoring house elves and keeping them at this lower level was, was clearly the wrong, the wrong choice, but people were complacent. People were um, ignoring this thing, that, uh, this, this institution of house elf servitude that has been along for, around for such a long time, and they ignore it because... It's always been like that. I don't think we can get complacent in that way either. I, I think what Hermione does with SPEW is very important. She could have picked a better name. Not exactly like SEO or, <laughs> or anything. Not super marketable. But she fought for it. And she took those small steps. And we see uh, more in the movies. We see um, all of the small steps taken by... Uh, Neville and Dobby and um, you know even smaller more fringe characters uh, we see those more in the books and the movies we see all of the the small important things that helped because you know at the end of the books it's not just the last five chapters of the seventh book that won that fight it's not it's all the little important steps along the ways and the small steps you know think about Hermione sitting inside Hagrid's cabin with him as he just sobs, you know? They they get there, and I've talked about this before. You don't have to be... You don't have to know the right thing to say for somebody. You just have to be there. And for Hermione, you don't have to storm the 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 Ministry of Magic with torches and pitchforks and write new laws yourself. Just as important are these smaller steps that you take every single day to advance that cause and to advance advance goodness that's the one thing i don't like about a lot of young adult books um a lot of times they sort of they confuse the idea of doing good with having a heroic moment um, let me, I gotta jump back to chat. I've been talking for a while. Uh, General says, what you said about fighting against apathy and complacency is something I was feeling last week. And I know that y'all didn't mean it like that. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's a little bit what I talked about at halftime and what I talked about at the end of the last chapter. Um, yeah, I think you, you, you mentioned before that you were coming to it from, I'll just say a, a different place than I am. And, uh, people, we, the world needs people like you who are watching for, uh, things like that. I, you know, I didn't necessarily agree about this particular instance of it, but um, that doesn't diminish the value that you have as being someone who watches and, and protects younger people. Um, and General also says, I jumped to the defensive and I lashed out and I'm going to do better. We're in it. We're doing it right. There we go. I, you know, throughout the week, I was thinking to myself too, like, you know, like, did I get, you know, too harsh about it? 
I'm not sure I did, but you know, I I also think that uh well, I thought it I thought it brought us up a good moment, so I'm glad we're talking about it now. Great chance to illustrate that, you know, we need people and everyone including me could always be working to be better with communication. But I'm very glad you're back. So you didn't even need to hear my whole bit about uh not let it, not letting us be divided. Um, let's pee. What? <laughs> Definitely not that. Let's see. As I read the word spew, um, Bruce says spew the justices. Spew them out. Indeed. Uh, okay. Noxara says, have you read any of Moonsign's Harry Potter fiction? Harry Potter fan fiction. Um, and I have not. Um, but I've, 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 let's see. I picked up something kind of recently, just a PDF of some fan fiction. Um, and Bruce, I think we should talk about that at some point, but we've got one more thing on our list here and I want to make sure to get to it tonight so we don't push it off until next time because we've already pushed it off. So I don't want to do that again. Um, by the way, if anyone would like to, oh, oh, I'm dropping frames. It happens. It's for close to the end. Um, but, uh, I want to talk about this, uh, prequel to, um, the... Oh, I'm blanking on the name now. Prequel to the Hunger Games series. Uh, I've always thought that the Hunger Games would be a pretty great universe to see a prequel in. A pretty great story to see. You know, uh, and Noxara mentioned in the Discord, which you guys can find the link below if you want to continue talking after the stream. Um, uh, mentioned that it's a 64 years beforehand, I think you said, Noxara. Um, yeah, Bruce, I do see you talking about the possibility of Hermione being McGonagall uh, in the future. And uh, more obviously, Noxara, about um, the Marauders being at school and Harry's life uh, after the Wizarding War. I do want to talk about that more, but like I said, I wanted to make sure we got to this so we didn't bump that stuff again. Because you've been bumped once too often, Noxara. Um, yeah, I think uh, it's, it was a good series. I would, say my favorite, I, I would say my favorite was the first one and then the second one. And the third one was my third favorite. Um, but uh, I would, I, I mean, I always kind of like prequels. It's dangerous territory, and uh, I'm, I, I know a lot of people can get pretty charged up about it. It's tough seeing seeing a world that you feel like you really know well be changed in really fundamental ways. Noxara says it's set in the Dark Ages, so like the Dark Ages of Panem, I believe it's called. Um, like essentially, I can't remember when exactly, but was it sort of the formation of the Hunger Games, um, of the the institution of the Hunger Games? There's another one, right? Fighting against complacency. Um, <laughs> this this institution, whether it's uh, House Elf Servitude or the Hunger Games, where you send kids in to murder each other, uh, just because something's been around for a long time does not mean it's the right thing. <laughs> I feel like the second one is perhaps more clear. <sighs> yeah, I had a I had a discussion about those books recently. Um and there was somebody who was talking about how their opinion is that um series are less valid than single books and that if you if you have a story it should all be in one book. I guess was their their premise, but um I'm they they brought up Hunger Games as one of their examples, and I very much think that Hunger Games is about the three books are about three very different themes. Um, 
you know, the one being fighting from underneath oppression, the the second one being um, fighting the backlash of fighting suppression, uh, fighting oppression, and the third one is a little bit more up in the air, that one, and I don't really remember it quite as well. Naxar says, it was the time after the war between the districts and the capital, but before the Hunger Games was put in place. Okay, yeah. So I'm imagining it's going to be essentially the series of events that set into motion the Hunger Games. Interesting. Dropped Frames is a different show, Nate. Um, so what does this mean for your... Uh... Nate, what does this mean for your... Um, your... Uh, MC initiation. Bowser. General says, best case scenario, I'd be in the... Oh, I'd be in the Reaping six times. But I'd definitely be taking Tesseract. Okay, that that was a bit too much for me to remember. Um, there are some things in there I don't recognize, like Tesseract. <laughs> um, Bruce says, dude, reading The Hunger Games put me in a depression when I read it. It's a lot to take in. Um... And uh, we can certainly talk more. I've, I've talked about mental health in the past, and I'd certainly be talking about it more. Ah, Mrs. <laughs> Miss Frizzle's here. Welcome, Miss Frizzle. Who is this? Ah, nice try, Nate. Yeah, I haven't had... Uh, I don't think I've had any book series that put me... I've certainly had ones that, like, <laughs> made me feel worse when I was reading them, but I didn't do a lot of reading during my, my depression-heavy years i had a, a rough like five to seven years but i'm very happy to say that uh i'm ha i'm very healthy now and i don't have to medicate anymore so for anyone who's uh out there worried about it or in the middle of it stay strong there is a light at the other end of the tunnel it's real it's there i promise we can talk more about that one another time as well because it is eight like 40 it's like a quarter to nine so we are way over time i'm gonna have to call it here Thank you all very, very much for watching. Tesserae was the food slash grain you got when you entered in the reaping. Oh, gotcha. Okay. And DJ, I have not heard about the unwanted, but I will look it up. Um, if anyone would like to continue this discussion, I will be in my Discord uh, after this. It is, uh, you can find the link in the description underneath. Um, go ahead and join up. We talk about just any random stuff throughout the week, and I do some smaller updates and, and uh, you know, polls, questions, that sort of thing on there. So, thank you all so much. Y'all are great. Wonderful week. So great to have you all here, and uh, keep telling people about the stream. Um, the number is fun to look at when it goes up by, like, 18, like it did this week, 18 new subs. Yippity-doo-dah, but what's more fun is having you guys here in the chat to actually talk to. So, Thank you all so much. Hope you have a fantastic week. I'll be back here next week. Let's see. I will, right? Let's see. I will not be back here same time next week. Um, we are leaving for our trip next Wednesday. So um, expect me not to be here next week, unfortunately. Daniel, Naxara, Bruce, General, DJ, Miss Frizzle. Is that Michaela then? Nate. Have a great night. I'll keep y'all updated on the uh, Discord and via YouTube. Goodbye.